Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Um, it's, uh, it's awesome to get to see you guys this morning. Thank you for being here and worshiping with us and uh, uh, joining back with us. Uh, uh, we, uh, I don't know if you noticed or not, we got new projectors. Uh, I mean, we've been, we've been running on those projectors for like a, a thousand years, <laughs> a thousand years in the projector world anyway, and uh, Jeff Crow never looked so good on, on, a, on a screen right there, uh, I guarantee you, but uh, no, uh, thank you to everybody that's been working on that, there's a lot of folks that have had their hands in that, uh, and uh, thank you to Jeff and Suzanne for sharing their story, and, and there's, there's even more of their story, I, you know, it, it's a uh, uh, we got to spend some time together uh, with some of our leadership here a while back, and when and when they shared some of their story, then uh, one of the things that uh, that they shared was that you know they kind of got to a point in their life. I don't think they mind me sharing this with you guys. They kind of got to a point in their life where uh, being a part of the body of Christ changed their life so much uh, that they that they just kind of realized that they that they owned a boat that they didn't use anymore, you know, because they used to spend all their weekends gone and stuff, and, uh, and they sold the boat, and, uh, you know, and, and, and life moved on in a different direction, and just, just a great testimony uh, of what God has done in somebody's life, and, uh, and, we, and we do all relish in the fact that Jeff uh, said for ever, never, ever, never, ever, never, ever, never, ever would he go to church, and now he's our deacon, so... Uh, you know, that's a, it's a pretty awesome thing of what God can do with anybody. And uh, uh, yeah, well, uh, hey, we're, uh, we're jumping into Nehemiah today. If you've got a Bible with you, go ahead and get it out uh, and, uh, and go to Nehemiah chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, uh, let our ushers bring you a Bible. And also, uh, if you don't have your Worth It booklet with you, with you. Uh, we'd love for you to have one of those as well. Just throw your hand up, let them know which one you want. They're going to be coming uh, down the aisle with both things. Uh, Deanna's got the booklets, uh, kind of modeling those booklets. Here, give me one of those things. Uh, Vanna White. Uh, what's up with Vanna White, man? I saw Wheel of Fortune the other day and was like, man, she doesn't even do anything anymore. She walks up and touches screens. Like we're supposed to buy in that they're touch screens or something. And the guys back there in the booth that are hitting those things aren't even lined up with when she touches them, if you had those. I'm sorry to diss on Vanna White for any Vanna White fans here today. I, that, was, that, was, that, was un, that was unplanned and uncalled for. So she's, she's doing a fine job at walking across the thing. Oh, and man, she's got to be 100, right? I mean, that lady, I mean, not that she looks at her or anything, I'm just saying. You know, I remember at my grandmother's house watching Wheel of Fortune and Pat Sajak, good grief. I'm surprised he hasn't fallen on the wheel yet or something. Um, but uh, anyway, man, I don't know where that came from. Uh, Nehemiah 4, uh, this passage that we're looking at today uh, is, uh, man, I feel like, I've, I'll just be honest with you. When I, when I started studying through Nehemiah again earlier this year, uh, and I don't, and I, I just, I don't, I don't always have, you know, these moments or whatever where I feel like God says, hey, you should do this, you should do that. But earlier this year when I started praying about what I was going to be teaching through as we were talking through uh, the Worth It uh, initiative and, and all this stuff that uh, God is leading us to as a church, uh, one of the things that, uh, that happened was uh, somewhere in there, I just felt like God was saying, Look at Nehemiah, look at Nehemiah, look at Nehemiah. And I, and I taught through Nehemiah a long time ago, uh, beginning of 24. I made mention of that, I think, a couple weeks ago. Uh, if you ever see the video of where Joey and I build a wall out of boxes, and it's 
you know, one side it's one thing and we're writing on it, and then the other side when we flip the wall around, it's got the old school 24 logo, which by the way, I think Century 21 like completely ripped us off on that. We should go after them. Uh, but um, uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. And, uh, but yeah, so I, it's, been, it's been a minute since I had spent really time in Nehemiah. And then, uh, I don't know, just as I started reading through Nehemiah, it just became so obvious that this is what we needed to be studying through as a church as we're preparing, and God is preparing for us to do some things and leading us to do some things. And, uh, and, 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 and even this, this message today, what we're talking about, I mean, if, if this doesn't hit home for you, I don't know what does, because the truth is, is we all, we all struggle in life. We all deal with things in life. We all come in contact with obstacles uh, in life. In fact, if, uh, if you've got your little book there and you're wanting to take notes today, uh, you can go to uh, page 28 uh, in there, and you've got, uh, you've got space to take notes. And I'm going to give you some things to be praying for today, uh, <coughs> along with whatever else that God speaks to your heart about, and you just want to jot down there. That's fine, too. Uh, but Nehemiah chapter 4, uh, and, and, and just to kind of backtrack a little bit, I want to regurgitate everything about Nehemiah, but Nehemiah uh, found out that his hometown, uh, his place where his family was from, Jerusalem, and uh, was, uh, was in shambles. Uh, the walls had been torn down. They had been destroyed uh, with fire, uh, with, uh, ba- you know, basically in battle. Uh, and, and back in that day, if you were a city and you didn't have a wall, then you weren't much of a city because you had to have a wall to help protect your city. Because without the wall, basically anybody could come and take whatever they want and do whatever they want at any given point in time whenever they wanted to do something. And so, you know, uh, Nehemiah finds out that basically all of the, you know, the walls, the gates have been destroyed. And so it becomes heavy on his heart that he's supposed to do something about this. God puts this on his heart, leads him to uh, a place where he's like, you know, you know, go and go and do something about it. Go and fix the walls. And so uh, Nehemiah does this. Now, there's people involved here, uh, other leaders and other places and whatnot, uh, that are not for this. Nehemiah happened to, to work specifically for the king. He was the cupbearer, which made him like uh, the guy, made him like the one that, um, you know, he, you know, he, he had uh, total access to the king, probably like one of his best friends. The king trusted him to give him a drink that wouldn't kill him basically every day of his life. So you can kind of go from that, just how important his job was. And so, um, you know, we have this whole situation where Nehemiah comes to the king and he says, hey, you know, this is going on with, uh, you know, where I'm from and, and the Lord's leading me to go back and do something about it. And, and the king sends him, sends him and, and even sends him with his own resources. And we talked a couple weeks ago about uh, what it looks like uh, for, what it looked like for Nehemiah to go on the king's money, to, to be on the king's money doing this, this mission that God had called him to. Uh, and that you know, there too. That's kind of that's kind of us. You know, we're we're operating on the king's money. It's all it's all God's, and uh, you know, we're managers of it while we're here and all that kind of stuff. But we can't take it with us. It's His. Uh, and so, um, <clears throat> with thinking about all this, and kind of what's what's happening and starting to happen is Nehemiah is starting to get some grief from these other leaders. These other leaders don't want him to rebuild the wall because if he rebuilds the wall, if they rebuild the wall, well, then that's another threat. To them, they want to keep they want to keep this place and these people in a spot where if they decide that they want to go uh, loot the town or take the women or 
uh, you know, whatever it is. I mean, any number of things, then they can go do that at any given point. And so uh, what Nehemiah is doing is not uh, of, great, uh, uh, of, of great excitement to some of these other leaders. And so they begin to come against. And that's kind of where we pick up today. Uh, and so I want us, to, as we read this, we got, we got our old boy Sanballat. You remember him? Sanballat, Sanballat, Sanballat. Um, and, and so we've got, we've got Sanballat here, and uh, he's not happy. In fact, let's just start reading Nehemiah 4, verse 1. It says, now when Sanballat heard uh, that, he w- uh, that, we were rebuilt, that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? And Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. So basically, you've got, you've got two local leaders to where Nehemiah is and where he's trying to do this work that are not only, not only are they against what he's doing, but they're speaking out against it. I don't know when the last time was uh, that you had somebody speak out against uh, something you know, that you've done or maybe who you are as a, as a person or your character or your business or your family. You know, don't, don't, get, don't get people started on their family, man. Like, you know, uh, somebody says something about somebody, uh, you know, on a Facebook page, and the next thing you know, here comes their mama and their sister and, you know, everybody else. Not that you guys have ever been involved with anything like that. Um, but, you know, it's, 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 kind of that, it's kind of that idea that we see, you know, Nehemiah in this situation. And as he's in this situation, these guys are, I mean, they're talking, they're talking smack. I mean, this is, this is the word that is getting back to Nehemiah. Nehemiah's writing this. He knows. He knows what they're saying. He knows what they're saying because he's hearing about it. The word is being sent back to them. What are these feeble Jews doing? He's angry and greatly enraged and jeering at them. If a fox goes up on the wall, it'll break down. I mean, you know, basically, it's just they're, they're making fun of him. But what it is is they're threatened by him. They're threatened by the fact that Nehemiah has come with the king's men and is rebuilding these walls, they know, they know that there's a great chance that, that Nehemiah and the, and the city there will be a threat and that they, they too will be somebody that they'll have to worry about in the future. But, you know, you know how the, you know how the, the bully is on the playground, right? You know, and he's like, he's like, oh, you know, you're a sissy and you, you know, and, and it's like all this nonstop talk, 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 you know, and what it is is, you know, there's some kind of a threat involved. Otherwise, why, why even fool with it? Not even worried about it, why even fool with it? It's a, it's a power play. It's a power play of like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove to you I'm, I'm bigger. I'm going to try to talk smack about you and try to discourage you. I don't know when the last time was you were discouraged. Maybe you're discouraged right now with something going on in life. Maybe the way somebody's treating you or something's going on. Uh, let me just tell you what. Nehemiah is awesome 
in leading his people. And I don't know if you're, if you're a leader of an organization, you especially would understand this, but in fact, I had a conversation with somebody yesterday, which was a really awesome conversation about something kind of like this. But, you know, when you're leading an organization and, you, and, you're, and the people of that organization, the people that are a part of that, uh, begin to feel like they too are, are part of, you know, uh, being looked down on, talked about, uh, discouraged in some way, uh, it's not always easy. To lead, to lead people positively back to understanding, hey, we don't, we don't need to worry about that. And so Nehemiah, in verse 4, we see Nehemiah's first play here. His first play is that he goes straight to God. And here's what he says in verse 4. It says here, O God, for we are despised. We are despised, it says. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt, and, not, and, not, and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So Nehemiah prays this prayer. And as Nehemiah prays this prayer, you know, it, 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 if you're not careful, you would think, oh man, Nehemiah is quite the revengeful you know, kind of guy. But the truth is, is that this isn't a revengeful prayer. This is a prayer asking God that he would be involved and that, and that ultimately that he would be glorified. He's saying, God, I don't want, I don't want anybody, these guys included, to be a part of, of ignoring you and ignoring who you've called us to be as your people. Don't let their sin be blotted out from your sight for you, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Nehemiah goes straight to the Lord. That's totally not us most of the time, right? I mean, like somebody, somebody talks jack about us, and then what? We're mad, we're upset, we're on the defensive, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're out there trying to you know, uh, repaint the water tower, so to speak. You know? And the truth is, is Nehemiah, Nehemiah first and foremost goes straight to the Lord and says, God, I, I trust in you in this moment that you will take care of them and whatever they are doing. And then it goes on in verse 6. It says this. It says, so we built the wall. <laughs> so he, he prays, and then Nehemiah says, so we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. This is a, this is a great especially from like a leadership standpoint, this is a great, this is a great move for Nehemiah because, you know, he's, he's, he's seen like the, the chance, like, you know, to like, instead of like saying, Hey, we gotta, we gotta build the whole wall right now. They go after building half the height of the whole wall. So what's this do for his people? This, this gets their people jacked up. I mean, they I mean, it, it gets them to a point where it says the people had a mind to work. In other words, they, they, were, they were excited. They were, they, were, they, were, they were going. They weren't stopping. They weren't quitting because somebody had been talking smack about them. And in verse 7, it says, But when Sanballat, love him, and Tobiah, and the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. Surprise, surprise. 
And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. So again, Nehemiah hears the response from half of the wall being built back that they're upset, that they're mad, and that they're planning to come after them. It says what? They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and cause confusion in it. You know, it's, it's one thing to have one person that feels, feels like one person is against you. It's a whole other thing when you feel like there might be like groups out there that are against you, you know? Nehemiah didn't let this stop them. And in verse 9, it says this. It says, And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. Day and night. What'd they do? They put up a guard. Put up a guard. Nehemiah doesn't just pray, hey, Lord, you know, protect us, take care of us. No. Nehemiah gets ready for battle. Nehemiah Nehemiah's not a lazy prayer. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, sometimes we're lazy prayers. We're like, Lord, would you please put it on somebody's heart to go do that work that's right in front of me right now? You know what I'm saying? You, 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 get, you get what I'm putting down, right? Picking it up? So, I mean, I mean, because this is, this is oftentimes what we do. Let's just be honest with ourselves. We're like, oh, Lord, you know, please, oh, thank you for letting me be a part of church that serves the community. Lord, use the people of your church to go and serve. May you use all of them as they go, you know? And we leave us out of it, right? Leave me out of it, you know? No, Nehemiah doesn't pray that kind of prayer. It says, and we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. This is just the beginning. Like this is just the beginning of the work that they have in front of them. By the end of chapter four here, there's going to be so many dudes in here making a case with their wives as they leave today to go buy more guns. This is just, I just, I see this coming. Jeff's sales are going to go up, you know, whatever. Um, because, they, I mean, these folks, they're ready to work, you know? It says the people had a mind to work. They, they're ready to work, and they are ready to defend. And that's what we see. In fact, let's just read on. In verse 10, it says, In Judah it was said, The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And so, this is, this is Nehemiah starting to hear, you know, some complaining, some people worried about, I don't think we're going to get this done. They're worried about, you know, people are going to come after them, and now they're having to start to, you know, protect themselves too. And then, and then in verse... Um, it says, by ourselves, we will not be able to re- rebuild the wall. In verse 11, it says, and our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come along them and kill them and stop the work. They will not know or see till we come along them and kill them and stop the work. So again, they're hearing these people are coming and they're not coming to bring biscuits and cakes and you know all this fun stuff. They're coming to kill us. They're coming to kill us. They want us to die. They do not want the work that we are doing to happen. Now this, I mean, this has got to be incredibly hard. 
in this moment, especially for Nehemiah as he's leading the people to continue and see the importance of doing this. And at verse 10 it says, At that time the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, You must return to us. So now in the midst of all this going on, not only do you have... Not only do you have the people that are against you saying, hey, we're going to come and kill you, but you also have like all your friends and your family that are like coming to town, basically trying to talk you into going back with them. What's it say? They came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. They're, they're like, we are worried about you. We don't want you to die. We hear what's going on. Verse 13, so in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. I mean, if this isn't Braveheart, I don't know what is. Like, they just ripped the movie, right? You know? Like, we're not going to give up. Do not give up. Do not be afraid. He says, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Maybe that's where you are right now. Maybe there's something in your life that you, if you're just like super honest today, at least, at, let, me, let me just say this, at least be honest with yourself. I don't, I don't care in this moment if, you, if, you can, if you're ready to confess that thing to somebody else yet or not, uh, but just be honest with yourself. Are you at a place in your life where there is something you are not trusting God in? He says, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And then he basically says, do this for your loved ones and your family. Verse 15, it goes on. When our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work, from that day on, half my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. I told you somebody's going to be buying a gun before this day's over with. I mean, if you don't, it's going to happen. They're basically like, we're going to go to work, and we're ready to ride. Like, you know? And in verse 18 it says, And each of the builders had a sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from each other in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. 
So he's basically, he's talking about how they're, they're all spread out. I mean, it's a big, big city, okay? And the wall, you know, there's like, the wall is so long, and there are so many different gates, and they're still trying to rebuild all this stuff, you know? I mean, there's, there's not like, there's not like, oh, we got, you know, we're backed up against a hill, and we don't have to worry, you know? I mean, there's so much to this, and the people are so spread out that it's become a concern. And so, and so Nehemiah's like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to sound the trumpet. If you hear the trumpet sound, you come running right here. And then he says, listen, be reminded, our God will fight for us. Our God will fight for us. Let me tell you something. If God ever leads you to do anything in this life, remember that. Our God will fight for us. If he is calling us and leading us to do something, I promise you, he's not calling us and leading us to do that, that he's going to lose. He's going to win. Now, we may not always get to see the win. Let's be real clear here. I don't want to candy coat it and make it some always a Cinderella story kind of thing. The truth is that sometimes we're just people that are planting seeds. Sometimes we're just building half the wall. Maybe we don't see the wall to get to be completed. Maybe we don't see that person get to come to Jesus. But God uses us along the way. We lost our buddy C.J. Morris last year. And, uh, you know, C.J. was a firefighter. And uh, out of C.J.'s loss, I have gotten to spend untold amounts of hours with our local fire department. And even, even just last week, I, I, I sat on my couch while I got to share the gospel with one of those firefighters in a way that, honestly, I really thought this person knew the Lord. But as we've gotten to really talk and really explore what that means, it's, it's starting to kind of come about, maybe this person doesn't. They're not sure. They're just being honest. They're not sure. And, and, but they're, but they're being, and, and it's like, as I'm sharing different aspects of the gospel, I'm seeing these lights go off. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking, you're here because of CJ. CJ's not here to see this right now, but God used him to be a part of that. God used him that we might have those conversations that I get to continue to have more of those conversations all the time with so many people in that department. What a blessing. Talk about being glorified in death. That's God being glorified in our death. It's because who we were while we were alive, that even in our death that people's lives might be changed and that they might be drawn to Jesus. What an amazing testimony of life. Verse 21, it goes on, it says, So we labored at the work, and half of them held up held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. And I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem that they may be a guard for us by day and may labor by day, by night and then labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes each kept his weapon at his right hand. You see, sometimes God calls us into situations 
where we can't just pray, God, you do your thing. He's, he's saying to us, you have a part in this. You are going to work. <laughs> this will not be easy, right? And, and you know, I, I look at things, I look at things like what God is calling us to, to do as a church. I mean, even just like building a building. I mean, that's the easy thing to go to because building a building, but the truth is we're, we're not, it's not about building buildings. We don't care about buildings. Look at the building we got, right? I mean, it's okay. It's, it's, I mean, a lot of people have worked hard and done a pretty nice job, but it's not, it's not the Taj Mahal. It's a warehouse. We don't, we don't try to cover it up. It is what it is. It's just a place for us to meet. It's not the church. The people are the church. The body of believers is the church. And so, you know, when, when we build on this thing, I mean, you know, we're not worshiping that thing, that's for sure. And it and it will be real easy for us to kind of go, well, God, will you will you just bring somebody along that's a millionaire? Bring somebody along that's wealthy. Place it on their heart that, that you would just work through them to give tons of money to help just fund this thing and just make it happen overnight and us just be able to move forward and not even be able to worry about that. And, you know, God could do that. But you know what I've seen God continually do in this body of believers? I've seen him continually work through all of us together, sacrificing together, being led together, working together to do the ministry that he's called us to do. No one person, you know, could possibly take care of a children's ministry. No one person could possibly take care of of a ministry like the food truck coming this coming Saturday that will need willing hands to come and hand out food to people. I mean, you just think about think about all of these things. How does God work? He uses us in unity as the body that, that when we come together and we work together, amazing things happen, but the most amazing of them all is the glory of God is seen. People see Jesus in us because they look at us and they go, well, how in the world do you guys stayed together for so long? What about like when things come up and you make each other mad and all this kind of stuff and you know, you don't mean you just don't just take off running and go, go run and hide or leave the church or whatever it is. I mean, yeah, that happens sometimes, but at the end of the day, it's because we've been called to grace and we give it just like we receive it. And as we give grace, you know what? God is glorified because they see in us what they don't see in the world, and that's that we do for one another what Christ has done for us. We allow grace. We allow forgiveness. We work through it. We say, you know what? We're all sinners. We all need a Savior. We all need Jesus. We all need God to lead us. Nehemiah was leading his people to follow God. How's he do that? How does he do that? How do we do that? Uh, look, look at what he does. He prays. He prays and he leads them to pray. He prays and then he basically turns around and he says, do what you're called to do. Do what you're called to do. Then he says, do it without fear. Be ready to fight for it. These are great things to write down, by the way. Nehemiah leads his people to follow God. The first thing that he leads them to do is pray. The second thing he leads them to do is see that they would follow through with what they're called to do. That they're called to do it without fear and that they would be ready to fight for it. Are we ready to fight for it? 
I mean, like, we're, we're ready to fight for our opinions. Like, our opinions are so important to us, right? I mean, like, don't get, I mean, I, you know, I just, I set back, you know, I, I'm the guy, I might as well, I don't do it very often. I have done it at least once in my lifetime, though. I'm the guy that might as well just be popping up the, uh, the picture of somebody eating popcorn on the, you know, on, on all the threads, because I'm just like, I'm going to sit back, I'm going to sit back and watch how this goes. Let's just, you know, and so, sometimes I might type a little something in there. It's like a little gasoline on the fire, you know. I like doing that every once in a while. You know, in a friendly way, I might throw a smiley face behind it. It's okay. It's okay if you put a smiley face behind it. You know that, right? You can do, you can do that. I just did it this week, you know. People are like, what? What are you, what are you saying? I'm like, no, 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 no. You took it wrong. I had a smiley face there, Right? Now, we'll fight for an opinion. And, and, and the real question of our life is, will we fight for the kingdom of God? Will we fight for the things that he's calling us to do in this world? Will we, will we fight that this body of believers will make a difference in this world? Will we fight that this would be a church that in 20, 30, 40 years, that our children might too be here leading, worshiping, having their kids and their grandkids here, serving Jesus, being a light to the world. Can that be the atmosphere of this church, that they, that they would want to come back, that they would want to be here, that they, would, that they would want to be a part of what God is doing? Not because the church is great, because God is great, right? That they would see us as a people who are in love with Jesus and in love with the things that he calls us to do because we see them to be for his kingdom and not our own. We will have obstacles. We will have obstacles. I want to give you a few things to pray for. If you want to write these down there on your, on your thing, that would be fantastic. But I want to give, you, give us a couple things to just be praying for. We will have obstacles, and we need to be praying ahead of time about what those things might be. Number one, we need to be praying for unity. We need to be praying for unity. We need to be praying that we as a body of believers would be unified. We need to be praying that our leadership would be unified. And Because and, here's, here's, here's why. We need to be praying that our ministries would be unified. And folks, let me say this. Let me say it loud and clear. And he hates that I'm about to say this. But Satan wants to divide and conquer. Satan wants to divide and conquer. You will at some point in the days ahead, having something to do with ministry, feel like your opinion isn't being heard or it's not as valued as somebody else's, and you will want to go after them like you are running them down on a Facebook page. Don't fall into that. Have normal, godly conversations with people. Don't let Satan put something in your heart that isn't even there to begin with. He wants to divide and conquer. We are praying for unity for our church, for our leadership, within our ministries, that God will use us to continue to work together for the advancement of his kingdom. Secondly, we need to pray that God will provide. We need to pray that God will provide. And that's one of those, again, like it's, you know, it's easy to pray for it and like, oh, God, you, 
you do a work there, you know, I'm, you know, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll be over here. No, <laughs> we're part of this, right? We're part of this. So as we're praying this, like we're praying, God, you lead me, you lead us, and how you're leading us to be a part of that. But God, provide work in money, with people, with wisdom, with the relationships we have in our community. That's been one of the things that I've been praying for recently. Nathan and I had this great conversation. He was talking about, you know, one, I think he thinks one of the keys, and I think he's right, one of the keys of, you know, what God is leading us to do in trying to minister to needs in this community is building great relationships with people like principals of local elementary schools and many more people. But that these people would understand that we want to come alongside them and support them and minister to them and help them meet the needs that they see day in and day out. This is our mission field, people. Who, who are on the front lines of dealing with a lot of the needs in this community? People like those folks and many others. We need to pray that God will bring us into the, into the right relationships and help us to know who, who those people are, what those look like, and break down walls that, uh, that they may have up against uh, whatever. We need to pray for protection. We need to pray that God would protect us from evil. We need to pray that he would protect us from attacks, from lies. Honestly, we need to pray that he'd protect us from ourselves because we're a bunch of danged old sinners, and we'll jack this up. We will jack this up all day long if it is left to us. We need his protection to help lead us and guide us that we would have the wisdom to do what he is calling us to do. We need to pray for faithfulness. We need to pray that we, we, okay, see what I'm saying there? We, that's you and me both, all of us together, right? We will step up, that we will work hard that we will be without fear, that we will follow God, that we will remember that God is calling us to something and that he will fight for us. We need to pray that we will be willing to go to battle for the kingdom. We need to pray for the people that God is putting on our hearts to reach. We need to pray that he would give us clear understanding of what it looks like to begin ministering to the needs of this community. They are many and they are great. Nehemiah had a plan. And we have a plan. In fact, if you got your little book there, you turn to page 11, 12, 13, you see many of these pieces. I keep bringing it up because I want people to see why we're doing this. I want, see people, I want people to see where this is going. I want people to see what has stirred our hearts to this point that we feel led to be building things, spending money, trying to move forward. Why there's a bus in our parking lot. Why there's a van in the parking lot. Um, God is calling us for such a time as this to be this church in this place 
at this moment in history. God is leading us to be a part of people's lives. People that are lost, people that are struggling, people that are rich, people that are poor, people that are addicted. He's calling us to get our hands dirty. This is messy ministry. This is messy ministry. You're going to come to me at some point and be like, Chris, you know, this is, this is hard on my family right now. We're trying to do this, but it's hard on my family. I'm going to be like, yeah, you're right. It is. May at times even be dangerous. I don't know. But look at Nehemiah. What are they doing? They're doing the work that God has called them to do with a sword on their side. And I know that there's a whole bunch of you that would love to carry a samurai sword on your side to church every week and all during the week. And then when, you know, a Cheatham County deputy stops you, you know, during the week and they're like, uh, I need to talk to you about why you've got this sword. Uh, do you have your driver's license with you? Let's, let's talk about this sword and be like, oh, yeah, this is my, this is my, this is my, I'm going to slice them in the name of Jesus sword in case something goes down, Right. I don't know that we need the swords. And I am reminded that he will fight for us. But it doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. Reaching the lost, ministering to people with great need, this is the kind of stuff that will cause most people to run the other way. And folks, the whole point, the whole point to this right now isn't that we will ever run the other way. The whole point is that we would run to them to bring them to Jesus. You get that? Like food trucks, we're all about it. I want to I feed the hungry. But I don't want to just feed the hungry. I want to feed the hungry so we have a chance to share with them about Jesus. We want them to see what is real in us, what has changed us as a people that it might to change them. I mean, look at Jeff Crow, right? If God could change anybody. This means that we're called to be people willing to work, people with generous hearts. And, 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 and here's, here's the truth. Here's the truth. If, if we're not willing to work, If we're not willing to have generous hearts, I'll just tell you right now, we might as well quit. We might as well quit. You say, oh, why would we quit, Chris? I mean, 24 has got a great thing going. Folks, I can just tell you, God isn't interested in our cruise control. He is not interested in us maintaining ministry. He is calling us to go. He came back from the dead and spends half the time talking about us going out and being a people that would go and be a part of the process of reaching others who do not know him, that they might know him. That the same blood that was shed on the cross could save them too. Pages 16 and 17 in your book there, bring about the reality, and you see that word giver, immediately we go to money, and money's part of it, but I think 
we got to think about it as not just money, but our time and our talents and how God is using us in all these things. And what, is, what does it look like? What's it look like for us to be faithful? Listen, I'm, I'm not interested in any guilt trips, okay? I'm not, I'm not the guilt trip preacher. I'm not here telling you what you got to do with your money. I am here on behalf of the Lord and saying from the bottom of my heart, I want us to be a church who follows what God is calling us to do. This is part of that. This is part of what he's calling us to do. And for, and for us to ignore it, to skip it, because other people have burned those bridges in the past because of the way they did it, and they did it with guilt and all these other things, I, I, it doesn't matter. We can't, we can't not do something because somebody did it wrong before us. What we've got to be willing to do is pray and let the Lord lead us. I'm not, I'm not going to be able to tell you what's right for you. I'm not going to be able to tell you what you should do when it comes to these kinds of things. You need to pray, and I need to pray about what God leads each of us to do with our families at this moment in time, all for his kingdom. All for his kingdom. And it's a different mindset. It's that mindset we talked about a couple weeks ago of like, you know, what would God have me to, to give uh, from with what he's provided or what would God have me to keep from what he's provided? You know, there's like, man, that's, those are big questions. Ben's actually going to come up and, uh, and share for just a minute. But I, I, I want us to understand something. It takes us all. It takes us all. And, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, maybe you're one of those people that you never in your life, you've never given at all financially or something to a church or whatever it is. Look, I, Start somewhere. Start, start small. Start little in some way, shape, or form. And let God, let God lead you. Let God show you what he's calling you to do. Yeah, it's okay. Am I there? Okay. Uh, I just want to talk for a second about the commitment card. So you'll see... In your, uh, in your booklet here, if you turn, i got ten things going on here. The first thing I want to highlight, well, so there's a sample commitment card on page 19. And we're going to have those in the seats next week for everybody. Uh, you can actually grab one at the, at the welcome desk if you want to, too. We, we're not expecting you to rip this one out. So we'll have a real card. It's just there for you to see kind of how this works. But if you flip like the page before, a couple pages before, it shows our goals. And we, we really, if you'll notice, the primary goal is that every single person would take time, spend time with God, and just go through this exercise and ask themselves, what is God leading me to give and do with my time, talents, and treasures. That's really our heart. What secondary goal is, yeah, we want to raise the money. We want to expand ministry. We want to expand the building. We want to do all that stuff. But our first and primary goal is just that we would all come to the place where if we didn't previously understand it, that we would understand that giving and what we do with our stuff is a spiritual thing. It's not just a tack on. It's not just a necessary evil. Jesus talked about money all the time. And so our heart is that you guys... Either if you're single or you're a family, you know, 
would get together with your spouse or by yourself with God and go, God, what are you leading me to give? And to work through this card prayerfully. That's our primary goal. And so we just want to make sure everybody understands kind of how it works. Uh, So I want to give a couple scenarios, but there's basically five blanks on these cards. And we're asking everybody, uh, Commitment Sunday is coming up on May, what is it? It's on May 12th. It's coming up. And on May 12th, we're going to ask you to bring a card back, filled out, and plan to, to give it to us. And it's your worth it commitment. And kind of here's how this works. I'm going to give you a couple scenarios. There's five blanks on the card. The first blank is just, what did I give last year? Okay, so let's say last year you, you gave money, but it was kind of sporadic. It was like, you're here, and you're like, oh, I should give money. And you got, you got some money in your wallet, and you're going, ah, I'm going I'm to give. And you did that several times over the year. And let's say, you know, you just did your taxes. Uh, so you know, hey, I gave $800 last year, let's say. Okay, so then you would put that in that first blank. And then as we've been walking through this, you've realized, man, I need to make a switch from giving just sporadically when I have cash in my wallet, when I'm thinking about it, to intentional giving. And so as you've prayed about it, let's say God's saying, you need to give $200 a month. And so you, go, you say, that's, that's really what I feel God's laying on my heart. And so your, your next year giving, so last year was 800 This next year would be, would be 2400 $200 a month times 12, 2400 Okay, so that would be your second blank. Okay, but then this is a two-year commitment that we're all making to worth it. So you would double that. And over the two years, you expect to give 4800 Okay, and then there's this fourth blank, which is gifts from stored resources. This reminds me of my, my home church in Mississippi that I grew up in. We did a, a big building plan years ago. And I've never, I only know this story because the daughter of the guy that did it told me about what her dad had done. But same thing. We were all given to this new building um, that my home church was building, and he had a guitar. He wasn't really a guitar player, but somebody, somewhere along the way, he had been given this Les Paul guitar, and he never played it. Um, it was kind of special to him, and in the midst of asking God, how much, what do you want me to give? He just felt like the Spirit said, I want you to sell that guitar and give, give the money to the church. Which to me, I'm going like, I don't know if I'd do that, but for for him, you know, it's like it's this I like beautiful a Les Paul guitar, by the way. Yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, I mean, I play a little, so <laughs> I don't really play, but you know, I like them. Uh, like I used to play a little, but uh, I'm kind of like you. Uh, yeah, um, but anyway, so maybe God lays something that like that on your heart, or or maybe maybe you're you got you got a yard sale coming up, and you just say, you know what, we're just trying to clean up the house. And I feel like God's saying, take all the proceeds from that yard sale and just give it to worth it. So let's say in this scenario, you did that and you got, you think you're going to make about $600 on the yard sale, right? So then your total worth it commitment would be, I know that's a good yard sale, right? Um, that's a man's yard sale right there. <laughs> Ladies don't understand that kind of math with yard sales, but men, like we're out there selling tools and engines and stuff, you know, nice units. We're not, we're not selling any Bronco stuff now. Um, so so then your worth it commitment would be 5400 And that's amazing. This is just, think about, think about if every one of us here, and we, we all have different giving stories in our different scenarios, but when multiple people start going from, I gave $800 last year to I became intentional with my giving and followed the Lord's leading, again, no guilt from us. We're not even going to know. We're just going to add it all up together and see where we're staying. You know what I mean? But we're, we're trusting God. But think about if people started going from like this level of giving to this level of giving and what together we could do 
Um, just in another scenario to make sure you understand the math, let's say I had to write this out ahead of time <laughs> so I could remember. But let's say in another scenario, last year you gave $3,000 um, to the church, right? So you, you, that was monthly giving. You were given $250 a month. That's what God had led you to do. And as you wrestle through this activity and you're just asking, God, what do you want me to give? He says, I want you to give a little bit more per month. And so you changed it to $300 a month. And so now you're going to give $3,600. And this next year, you double it. That goes to $72 for two-year commitment. Okay, and then little Johnny has been playing soccer, and you've been sending him to expensive soccer camps. But this year, he's decided he hates soccer, and so you've got $1,000 <laughs> that you normally spend on little Johnny and his soccer career, and he's just broken your heart and is no longer going to play. But you're like, well, what do I do with this $1,000? And God says, I want you to give the $1,000 to the church. And again, I'm just making all this up. But you do business with God, and you just, that's all we want. Do whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to do. And so then you're, oh, wait, that was 1000 I already did the math. Uh, so then your total would be 8,200. And so that's your worth it commitment card. Again, we just want you to work through this and prayerfully ask, God, what do you want me to give? It's your money anyway. I'm just a steward of it. What would you have me give to the worth it initiative and 24 church for what's going on? And then plan to turn it in on May 19th. And then the next week, we're just going to celebrate and see what God's done. And the next week is actually what we're calling the big give. And that's where we're going to start bringing those gifts from stored resources, which is this one, you know, the soccer camp and the yard sale. We're going to start giving that stuff, and we're going to celebrate what God's doing. But anyway, that's how the commitment card works. Thank you, Ben. We appreciate that. Um, you know, if, uh, <clears throat> you know, and so when you come bring these, you know, if, if we don't think that there's enough, if you're giving enough on them, we're going to share them with everybody that next week, whatever. I'm kidding kidding. There's some churches in town, though. I'm pretty sure that might, uh, or they're going to pass the plate a second time, maybe. Uh, no, a few of those. Uh, but no, uh, you know, this, I, w- I want you to understand something. This right here, this is just a, this is just a helpful tool for you. This is, I mean, it, it, here's the only way that this helps us is that we will be able to tally up a total of like what God is using to do in the hearts of multiple people together. Obviously, you're never going to see this. In fact, hardly anybody's ever going to see this. There's only going to be like one or two people that ever see people's actual individual cards being given. And those people are not going to share any of that information except bottom line numbers without names so that we have just some way of kind of going, man, look at what God is doing in the lives of our people right now. So you can kind of see, kind of see where that's going. I want to. I want to. Uh, I want to end with this, and transition into a time of communion. If you remembered, it said in verse four that Nehemiah, when he prayed to God, he said, "Here, O God, we are despised. We are despised." As I read that and prayed over that and meditated on that, I was reminded that Christ was despised. And, and, and the truth is, is at times, we will probably be despised for standing in our faith, 
for trying for trying to love other people. We'll have people that'll slam doors in our faces. We'll have people that'll call us names. I mean, it's just bound to happen. That's part of living in this world as a believer. I looked up the word despise in Scripture, and I found three verses, three or four verses that I just wanted to share with you real quick, if you don't mind, that just stuck out to me and just seemed like something in the light of recognizing that Nehemiah and, and and his folks were despised. It just felt like these were what we should share this morning and close with this. Matthew 6.24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, I, I, had no, I did not know that that was going to be one of the verses that would come up, but as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, that is so perfect for us right now. Like for us to even think about that, like we might position ourselves in life to try to protect ourselves from despising God by not loving our money. You you realize that that's one of the reasons why Jesus calls us to give. One of the main reasons he calls us to give is that we won't become worshipers of the stuff. We won't become worshipers of the money, that we won't love money more than him. It's that we would would get to a place where we're loose-handed with our money in such a way that we're like, okay, God, whatever whatever you're leading me to do right now, I'll do it. Not just talking about just even here in a worth it campaign. I mean, just like your neighbor needs you, whatever. I mean, you know, we'd just be listening to the Lord. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one And love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Matthew 18.10 says this, completely different direction. See that you do not despise these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. And that's Jesus talking about children. And folks, we know without a doubt that a big part of what God is leading us to do here is that we are surrounded. We are surrounded in this, in this community with children who need us to come to them with Jesus. And this is Jesus saying, do not despise one of these little ones. We, we should never get to a point where we go, oh, we can't. We can't go and reach those kids because they live in those neighborhoods. We can't do that. God has either called us to be here and to be light for his kingdom, or he has not. 1 Timothy 4.12, and this is one that hits close to home, and it's one that I've rested in in many days of my life. And It may sound kind of strange, but I'll explain it. It says, let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And this is what that means. It doesn't matter how old you are. You are called as a minister of the gospel. If you you are a believer, it doesn't matter how old you are. You follow the Lord. You set the example. Quit looking for other people to set you the example. You set the example in these things. What's it say? In speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. 
I long to see teenagers step up. I long to see uh, retirees step up. I long to see people that are so busy that they don't know which way is up to step up in whatever it looks like for them to follow the Lord in this and not make excuses by things of like, I'm not too old or I am too old or I don't have the time. As we transition into this moment of communion, I, I want to say this. If you are a believer here today, you are invited to come and to partake of the Lord's Supper with us today.